A long time ago, I was a classical violinist. This may come as a surprise to you. I don't maybe seem like the type. But back around 1999, 2000, in what I would call the old days, um, my girlfriend, my fiancé, now my wife at the time, used to take a lot of long-term trips for study abroad or to see family. What this meant was I was often going to the airport um, once, twice, maybe three times a year. After this repeated several times, I decided I would add excitement to the experience by adopting a new identity every time she came back home. Um, once, I was a private eye from the 1940s, complete with fedora and trench coat and newspaper. Uh, a different time, I was a, uh, for lack of a better term, a grunge rock star with lots of flannel and chains. This was back when you could actually go in the terminal um, and greet people, if you remember that, those of you who are old enough. But my favorite, or one of my favorites at least, was the time I dressed up as a classical violinist. I, I had a full tux, I had a cape behind me, um, I had a wig and a mustache. I looked ridiculous, but I was in identity. I also borrowed a violin from a friend and learned how to play the basic melody to Shania Twain's You're Still the One. I'll let you paint your own picture of what kind of, you know, atrocious playing this was in the airport. The woman cleaning the carpets next to me turned off her vacuum cleaner just so she could watch the show. It was ridiculous, but I was excited, you know, and I like dressing up anyway. Uh, but once Kate got back home, what did I do? I immediately ditched the violin, took off the tux and the cape, and went back to my normal identity. I abandoned that costume. Uh, because that's not who I really was, right? And even if I wanted to be a classical violinist, well... That's years and years of work and to-do lists and practice. And all I could see is this long list of things I would have to do, this massive to-do list stretching off into eternity. And so I was like, no way. It feels impossible, even if I wanted to. So I would throw away the violin, the cape, and I returned to what I thought was my original identity. And... I feel like I and you and those of us who follow Jesus sometimes approach being a follower of Jesus like this. Uh, we wake up each morning and all we can see are the list of things that we have to do. We have to read our Bible or we have to pray or we, we have to become better people. And all we see is this list of things to do stretching out into eternity. And it feels impossible. And our temptation is to give up on that being who we are. And so this morning, 
I want to talk about a very odd story from Mark that you've already heard and, and seek to discover, rediscover our hope and our freedom as we follow Jesus. We're going back to Mark this morning again. We're going to talk about three things. A garment of shame, an exchange, and then a journey of freedom. A garment of shame, a garment of shame, an exchange, and a journey of freedom. Pray with me this morning as we start. Jesus, we pray that you would give us insight and clarity into what you are doing through the story of Mark. Uh, speak to us about the freedom that you give us, especially on this day. I pray that my words would be yours, um, that people would hear you um, and what you are doing through the story. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, first, a garment of shame. You're going to need one of these. If you don't have one, uh, it's in the pew right in front of you because it will be much easier if you can actually see uh, what we're looking at. We're going to start in Mark 14. It's on page 903. This is Mark 14, 51, or actually 50 through 52. The scene here is that Jesus has already had dinner with his disciples. He's in the garden. People have come to arrest him. And his disciples flee. Starting in 50, it says, Then they all deserted him and ran away. Now, a certain young man, wearing nothing but a linen cloth, was following him. They caught hold of him. But he left the linen cloth behind and ran away naked. Okay, that's just weird, right? I don't think any of us grew up in Sunday school hearing about this text or your grandmother telling you about the naked guy and Mark. At least I did not. And so we need to figure out what this is doing here. This is the only gospel that talks about this person, this young man. And so there are several options, right, over the years. Some people have argued that Mark is broken, that it's a terrible narrative, that these verses should be thrown away. Uh, they suggest that, that Mark is, is nothing more than a police report of what happened, and there's no narrative, there's no craft, and so we can just disregard this. But that's, that's not what we've heard in Mark as Ben has taken us through, us through it over the past few months, right? Mark is intentional. It's inspired and edited by the Holy Spirit. And so Mark uses all kinds of structures to show that he's doing something with the story. If you remember, he uses sandwich stories, right? Where he starts one story, goes into a second one, and come ba comes back to the first to show how they relate. He uses women, as the ideal paradigm for how to be a follower throughout, right until that very last story we heard last week. He plays with people who are inside and outside, uh, the community inside and outside of houses. He has all kinds of structure um, as he moves on his linear journey from Galilee 
to Jerusalem. Which means that these two verses can't be just happenstance. He has to be doing something with this guy. So why? Why is this here? What could we possibly get? How could this inform how we follow Jesus? Well, let's take a look. We know a couple of things about this young man. First off, we know he's a young man, right? It says so in verse 51. We also know that, this seems pretty obvious, but he is following Jesus. It says a young man, etc., etc., was following him. Back with Peter, back in Mark 10, 28, Jesus says, I mean, Peter says to Jesus, he says, look, we have left everything to follow you. So by designating this young man as a follower of Jesus, he's obviously a disciple. Peter's a disciple. Disciples follow Jesus. The young man follows Jesus. Therefore, he's a disciple. Obviously, the other thing we know, one other thing we know, is that the young man flees, right? It says, you know, he, he, they caught hold of him, but he left the cloth behind and he runs away. Well, that's helpful, but two verses earlier, we've already been told that everybody flees. Mark is paralleling um, everyone fleeing and this young man fleeing. It's, and it's fascinating, right? Because you just heard how Peter said, Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. That's our job. And yet, here's this one guy leaving everything to get as far away from Jesus as possible. So already, Mark is, is playing with our narrative. And then, obviously, the most striking thing here, in the end of verse 52, the last word of the verse, it says, he leaves behind the linen cloth and he runs away naked. He runs away nude. It's a strange detail, right? And he, he leaves behind what he was wearing. And so what Mark is kind of doing here by telling you that he's nude is he's making this young man appear shameful. The man didn't just run away. He ran away dishonored nude into the night so the mark the garment he leaves behind then mark is portraying as a garment of shame this is not something you want right this is this is someone in a military battle retreating and causing half of his battalion to die you don't want to be that guy you don't want to be associated with that guy you do not want to be associated with this garment and it's particularly striking because if you were watching a movie of this, you'd be yelling at the screen. This guy had one job, right? Jesus calls his disciples. They don't have to be educated. They don't have to be a certain occupation. He just says, follow me. Be with me. Be near me. I mean, come on, man. You had one job, and he couldn't even do that. So he leaves behind the garment of shame when he, when he fails at that one job. But I've already said, right, that our problem is not that we just have one job that we put in our heads. It's a never-ending list of jobs, a litany of what we 
have to do. That we wake up every morning and is staring us in the face. Uh, that overwhelms us and so we throw off, just like this young man, we throw off that pretense of following Jesus because it feels impossible, it feels hard. Mark knows that. Mark knows that feeling. And so he's setting us up. He's including this true story of what happened with this young man because he's setting up our next step. He's setting up an exchange to show us, even as we follow, that it's not about what we can do, but it's what about Jesus has already done. We see in the garment of shame the young man left behind. Let's talk about the exchange. Still looking at the young man here in verse 51. Mark could have said the young man was wearing something. He was, he was there. He runs away. He runs away naked. But Mark gives you one more detail, right? He says the young man, verse 51, was wearing nothing but a linen cloth. Thanks for the extra information, Mark. That's actually one word in the original language. But why would he call out the linen cloth? Well, there's only one other place Mark uses this word, this phrase. It's one chapter later in Mark 15, 46. If you turn to that real quick, it's like one page over on 905. Jesus has now died. Joseph of Arimathea is coming to take his body and put it in the tomb. But first, look what Joseph does. Verse 46. After he bought some linen cloth, Joseph took him down and wrapped him in the linen cloth and then lays the body in the tomb. So our garment of shame, Mark is establishing, that garment of shame that our young man leaves behind, that linen cloth, is now what is wrapping Jesus as he is laid in the tomb. The garment of shame that the young man leaves behind now becomes a, a garment of shame that wraps around Jesus after a shameful execution. Now to be clear, this is, I'm not saying this is exactly the same physical cloth, but the way Mark is telling the story, he's trying to make you connect those two. Let's keep going. Uh, we know that this is a young man that has done this shameful act. We know that he's left behind uh, his shame, garment of shame and Jesus has been wrapped in that, has taken that on in the tomb. But there is one more young man here in Mark. And we see him in 16.5. You heard this last week. The women go and we're like, yay, women. The women go to the tomb. They find the stone rolled away. They go inside. And what do they see? In 16.5, they see, they entered the tomb, and they see a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. They see a young man. The only two places Mark uses young man, those phrases, those words, are our young man running away, and our young man here in the tomb. As Ben said last week, other Gospels describe this as an angel. But Mark chooses to call out his appearance and call him 
a young man. And Mark is not shy about using the word angel. He's already used it five times in the rest of his story. What he's doing is he's tying these two young men together, right? Our, our naked runaway from Mark 14 now has become our seated, robed reporter in Mark 16. But, but why, why make that connection? The answer is also in 16.5. Because not only are they both young men, but Mark also tells us in great detail what each of them are wearing. The young man running away in Mark 14 was wearing a linen cloth that he leaves behind. This young man in the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe. He's wearing white. So now, if we're making this connection, we should say, where... Okay, he's wearing a white robe. Where does he get the white robe from? There's only one other place, believe it or not, that Mark uses the word white. And to find that, we have to go to Mark 9, Mark chapter 9, verse 3. Uh, the setting here is Jesus has taken three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, and he's gone up on a mountain. And his glory is revealed to those disciples. Look how Mark describes it. Jesus leads them up. He was transfigured in front of them. And then verse 3. His clothes became dazzling, extremely white as no launderer on earth could whiten them. That's where the young man gets the white robe from. Jesus goes up on the mountain in Mark 9, and his glory is revealed. He's wearing a garment of glory. Then the young man, who we last saw naked running into the night, is given that white robe of glory. And now he's wearing it in Mark 16. And so now, Mark is showing us a full exchange of clothing, right? The young man's garment of shame in Mark 14 becomes Jesus' garment of shame in Mark 15. And Jesus' garment of glory in Mark 9 becomes the young man's garment of glory in Mark 16. This is a symbolic crafted story showing an exchange of clothing between master and disciple. In the dead of night, a young man flees in shame and abandonment. And that's what the master is given by the disciple. A garment of shame. And that, that shameful act is what we've given Jesus as well. With wrong motives, half-hearted efforts, abandonment of responsibility, rash words. That's what we've given Jesus. But at the resurrection, there's a young man clothed in glorious white. Uh, the same robe that Jesus, type of robe that Jesus wore at his glorious transformation. And that's what the master gives to his disciple. A garment of glory. 
We did not get what we, what we deserved, but instead Jesus has given us grace and restoration instead. It's an exchange, both for the young man in the story of Mark and for us. And that exchange of garments points to our new identity. It means that there is hope for all of us who try and turn following Jesus into a list of to-dos or requirements or ways to qualify that we can never fully actually meet on our own. All of us who follow along stumbling and falling, clumsy and hesitant. Jesus effectively has swapped identities with us, right? He gets the shame and the punishment while we get grace and glory. That means following him is not a journey of obligation. It's a journey of freedom. You see, because that picture of us in white at the resurrection is our true identity from the moment we believe in him. Romans 5.9 says, we, Jesus died for us while we were still against him. And we have been declared righteous. That's who we are. We are righteous in God's sight, even when we don't feel like it. And Jeremy read uh, Romans 8, 28, talking about how all things work to the good of those who love and follow Jesus. And the very next verse says, all things work to their good so that we will be conformed to the image of Jesus. Meaning, we've been declared righteous, God views us as righteous, and we're being made righteous over time. We will be perfect at the resurrection. We get the best of both worlds. We're already seen as perfect, and we're being changed over time because that is our true identity. Now, this, this changes how we follow Jesus, right? This is like... Um, knowing that good guys always win in the end. Or this is like uh, watching a, a sporting event and a team you live and die with, but you know the result already. You've either peaked or someone's giving you information and you're watching on delay. You know you win. It changes how you watch the game. It changes how you experience it. You relax. You're not worried about the things that have to happen. Uh, you can watch it unfold. You can watch it develop. You can watch yourself change because you know it works out in the end. There are things you are doing, of course, and you're experiencing that change. Uh, but to use another analogy, it, it's like uh, walking down a trail into a, a green, lush valley that winds back and forth, right? There are times when, when you, you, you get these glimpses of what the future is, and you know you're going to get there. It's totally different than not knowing where you are. Mark is showing us the end with this exchange. At the same time, just as Ben said, he's calling us to follow and calling us to go and tell others and to be consistent despite failing, Mark is also saying, don't worry, because I've already done it all. 
you're going to succeed. You have no choice. It's not a checklist. It's a free gift of grace. So it's not about what you do. It's not about what I do. It's about what Jesus has done. And to put this another way, especially on a day like today, that makes this journey of following Jesus a journey of freedom, right? We have freedom. Freedom from requirements. Freedom from lists. Uh, freedom from never-ending to-do, never to-dos. Freedom from having to earn Jesus' love. It's the free gift of Jesus that gives us that freedom. So as you go about this July 4th holiday and into the next week, let's not forget that. Let's remember the exchange. And I've, I've been working on this the past couple days. I mean, the easiest way for me is as I get dressed, right? I remember the exchange, pants, shirt, my clothes for his, socks, shoes, my clothes for his remembering grace mercy and restoration every morning remembering who i am what my true identity is what your true identity is after you believe in jesus i am not a list of things to work on or to do i am clothed in glory i am declared righteous i am destined to be an identical copy of Jesus. So remember, pants, shirts, dress, your clothes for his. Skirt, tie, coat, your clothes for his. Every morning, remember the exchange. Remember your new identity. Jesus has redeemed us by his blood. He has given us a new identity. And because of him, we walk in freedom. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for how you have done everything. Thank you for giving us stories that tell us about you. Stories that you help craft, that you inspire and you edit. You take the details of real events and you give us uh, visual analogies like an exchange of robes, a garment of shame for a garment of glory. You taking our place. Thank you that you give us that imagery to remember, to tell others, to tell our children, to tell our friends in concrete ways. Thank you for the insight. Thank you for giving us understanding I pray that you would help us to remember the exchange this week. Remember who we truly are. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.